Hey there, Revelation Wellness friends. Thank you for joining us today on the Revelation Wellness Podcast. We're back with a new episode from Elisa, and it has her diving deep into what it means to be a generation of change. And let me tell you, there is a mic drop moment in this episode where Elisa asks us a hard but necessary question. You're not going to want to miss that. And speaking of generations of change, we here at Revelation Wellness are all about that freedom movement that expands through generations from the youngest to the oldest. And we are here talking about what it looks like to be in a community that's willing to get with Jesus in the places where we are not living in freedom. And friends, we believe that one person's yes, whether you are eight or 80, can create generations of change. So let's be part of that legacy. And speaking of freedom, we have some big news for you. Our 2023 Rev on the Road dates have just released, and you are invited to come to our in person freedom parties. There is no substitute for in the flesh community. And our first event of the new year is coming to Knoxville, Tennessee in January 20 and 21st. If you have never experienced an in-person Revelation Wellness event, you are in for something very special. Rev on the Road is for everybody, everybody, every shape, every size, every fitness level, and every ability. Come experience contagious joy and freedom. You can grab a friend or two or three or a whole busload if you want and come lose what's weighing you down. You don't want to miss this. Tickets are only $20 and we cannot wait to see you either in Tennessee or at one of our other events next year. You can swipe up to the show notes to get the registration link and see all of the places that we will be at Rev on the Road next year. Enjoy today's episode. Peace. Thanks for being here. I'm Elisa Keaton, the founder of Revelation Wellness, where we are people who don't just have a faith in Jesus Christ. We live a faith in Jesus Christ. We embody a faith. We, God is looking for a bod. God is looking for a bod. God wants to get in a body, put you on like a glove, so you think, say, choose, and do things that you never thought possible. That, my friends, that brings generational change. That'll do it. But I'm gonna break it down. Okay, here we go. First question, are any of you mothers? Are any of you fathers? Here's a better qualifying question, probably. Because not all of you are mothers and not all of you are fathers. How many of you are sons? And how many of you are daughters? Right? All of you. Everyone here is a son and everyone here is a daughter. It's how you got here today. Qualifier. Somebody birthed you. Somebody gave you life, two people, the whole procreation story is how you got here. You have a mother, you have a father, and then out of that, you became a son or a daughter. 
A male sperm and a female egg met, and out of 280 million sperms, 280 million, you are here. You reached the egg, the one egg of a female with 280 million sperm. You are here. You're here. You have been birthed. You have a mother and you have a father. And you are a son, and you are a daughter. You are part of a generation right now. It's not an accident. Think about that for a second. God knew. It says in Scripture that before you were formed in your mother's womb, He knew you. He knew you would be the one out of 280 million. You're a son, and you're a daughter. There are currently 3.97 billion males in the world. 3.97 sons. And just shy of that, 3.9 females. 3.97 sons, 3.9 daughters in the world. Some of us came from great families, and some of us from not so great families. And for those of you who came from great families, you probably are hoping to do it again. Like if you had a great mother and a good father, and and you feel like, man, I am blessed. Hey, could you put that in the chat? Would you encourage us? I would love to know that, because sometimes people feel guilty for having it so good. What is that about? Man, we can come beside you and be like, we are grateful. Whatever your mother and father are doing, they're praying us through into this next generation. But if you come from a great family. You're like, how do I replicate this? How do I do that again? Guess what? You don't do it. God does it again. But it's changing. It's changing. How that goodness happened in their generation to then bring you into life and to feel like you have come from a a family origin that feels celebratory and rejoiceful and God centered. God wants to do it again, but it won't look the same way. So be careful with trying to feel like, how do I recreate this? How do I do what they did? Now, for those of us who came from not so great families, a painful family origin, if you could have it your way, you definitely would like change. But you probably feel overwhelmed at the thought and have found it so difficult. And quick to give up when it comes to change. So I have good news for us today. God is not only interested in our family; He is an investor in families, because He's the originator of family. What He starts, He finishes. And so today we're going to talk about partnering with God for generational change. Because if we pull back. If we look around, we can become people who see lots of problems in this generation, and we become critical of it and think, "Oh my gosh, what are we going to do? How do we fix it?" And guess what? Every stinking generation has done that from eternity past. Every generation freaks out and goes, "Oh my gosh, it's terrible," because we're prone to look at the world through fallen and sinful eyes. We just see it and go, "Oh my gosh," but we have to remember. That God knows what He's doing. He is the author of family, and He's not stopping on it. So we've got to come back and go. Okay, God, you still love this generation. Give me eyes to see. 
So we need to define a generation. If you're a person here, a parent, you're freaking out about your kids, I got good news for you today. If you're a person who just like sends a sick rat and go this, you know what? It's bad. It's bad. It's really bad. Hang out. I've got good news for you today. But first we have to talk about what is a generation. So let's define a generation. In Wikipedia, it defines a generation as all people born and living at about the same time regarded collectively. Do you know there's a generation right now that's living inside the generation of technology and the smartphone? Like our phones. That is a generation. We are the first. I can remember when we didn't have phones in our hands. They were on a wall and they were connected to a big stringy cord. Remember? We're the first generation to walk around with power in our pockets. We're the first generation. This is not surprising to God. And so we're seeing all the fallout of that. It's still not surprising to God. We're seeing all the opportunity for temptation and sin and noise and chatter. God is not surprised by that. We are the people for this generation. We are the people born and living in the same time under the same constraints. A generation can also be described as the average period about between 20 to 30 years during which children are born and grow up and become adults. So that makes about sense to me because I feel like the first 20, 30 years of my life is a very different generation than now. But it seems like every 20, 30 years there's something different about that generation. Another definition, and I actually love this one more so when you talk about generation, is the Oxford Dic Dictionary of Generation. It is the production of something. Because we're talking about this thing right here. This phone that I'm using, this is the 14th generation of the phone. Yes, I, I have the new iPhone. 14 iterations later, this is what we have. When Steve Jobs created the smartphone, generation one, who knew we would be here 14 generations later? But here's the thing about a generation, something that is produced, it's still the same thing. 14 generations later, it's still a smartphone. It didn't change. Generation one, he didn't start a smartphone and by generation 14, we now have a helicopter. It's still a smartphone. When God created a family, it's still the same. It doesn't spin off into a different design or we are prone to try and make it look different to fit our pain or our preferences. But a family is still a family. So we've got to look at how God created it. Steve Jobs created a phone. He understands the phone better than anyone because he was there when he created it produce something. So if we want to talk about a generation, we cannot be talking about a generation if we are not talking with the God who created family. As family, God is interested in something. God created a family and wants a family through generations. And as family, we are invited to be a family that works in our family's father's business. First, we're a family, and we're invited to work with him. 
God didn't have us to have workers. He had us to have children. But as children, we can work with him to see each generation conform or be transformed into the God's idea for such a time as this. I think God enjoys technology. I really do. I think he thinks it's amazing. The fact that we're here, hey, everyone say this with me. I love Jesus. Say it together. I love Jesus. I love Jesus. Say it really loud. I think he loves it. We just came together through the airwaves, through technology, and we're declaring we love Jesus. Back in the biblical times, I would have to write a letter. I love Jesus. Put it in the mail, send it, and then a few weeks later, someone else might get it. And then I love Jesus too. Still communication. And there's something beautiful about that because then you have to wait, right? That's what we're losing a little bit in this generation. So we get taught by God how to bring that weight back, how to bring that patience back because of the things in this world, the, the, the blessings that become our curses. We are the people to steward the change. So as family, we want to be with our father and work with our father to multiply and increase good. But due to our free will exercised incorrectly, we produce sin. Whenever we exercise our free will apart from the will of God, sin enters and then sin makes it difficult for us to change. Sin makes it difficult for us to be the image bearers of God in this generation now, pressing into these blessings and using them for righteousness sake, not just for ill-gotten selfish gain. That comes from pain and pain comes from sin. So back it all the way up. Our whole thing is to be like, God, I am yours. I am your daughter. I am your son. 250, 250, 80 million chances I am here. You have a point for me to be in this generation now. There's a reason I'm here. Help me be of good service to you and to those around me. So I wanted to establish this at the baseline. This is all God's business. It's his idea. And he's not surprised by what's going on. So we can remove that veil of, oh my gosh, what's, it's so bad. And instead, partner with God for the change. Exodus 12, 25 to 27. This is going to be the verse we're going to look at when talking about how to create change in your family, in your home, in, in your community, your workplace. You're all creating generational change. You don't have to be a mother or father to, to care about this. This is your, your uh, mandate. Go into all the world, proclaim the gospel in all the world now in this generation right now. So Exodus 12, 25 to 27 says this. And when you come to the land that the Lord will give you, as he promised, you shall keep this service, this service being the Passover. And when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? You shall say, it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover. For he passed over the houses of people of Israel and Egypt when he struck down the Egyptians, but spared our houses. And the people bowed their heads and worshiped. Okay, context. This is the book of Exodus, but to get to Exodus, you got to understand Genesis. Genesis is the beginning of family. 
Genesis is where it began. God created in his image, male, female, a son and a daughter. Here they are to heir and co-heir and reign and rule and have dominion on the earth. But we know what happened. We exercised our free will outside of the will of God, outside of his presence. Sin enters and everything begins to go in a whole different direction, which God is not surprised by. God knew we would use our free will inappropriately. Could he have removed free will from us? Yes, but then you get robots and that's not what he was interested in. Free will is actually what displays who you really love and what you really love because by your choices you make, you show who you serve, what matters to you. And I think God is interested in what matters to you, even if it's wrong. I know that sounds terrible, but even if it's wrong, because he wants to make it right, that you would know him. He knows why you make the wrong decisions. He's a good father. He does not shame us. I love it says in the Psalms that he does not repay us according to our sins. He's so luxurious and extravagant with his love. So in his extravagance, he made room for us to have free will, knowing it would pain his own heart, but also having a plan to redeem. And so through Abraham, he comes as a father. He says, I'm a father, Abraham. I'm now going to make you a father of a nation to a barren man, which is always hilarious. I love that. Hey, hang out with people that are odd and different and the odds are stacked against them. According to the world, those be near those people. And if they love Jesus, be even more near those people because God's going to strike. He looks for the weak places to confound the wise. So he finds Abraham, a barren man, says, I'm going to make you the father of a nation. And God's people rose to blessing under this fatherhood of Abraham. Eventually, Abraham has Isaac. Isaac has a son. Eventually, we get to Jacob. Jacob has Joseph. Joseph becomes the second in line to an Egyptian king to reign and to rule. So we start to see things swing back now for the Egypt, for the Israelite people, where they're actually getting blessing because uh, the Israelite, Joseph, is in the favor of a king. God is working under a broken system to still get his people where he wants them to be so they would be a blessed people. And they become blessed and in their blessing also go into captivity. So we see this. This is the cycle of life. Can we just for a second pull back on generations? This is the cycle of a generation. We rise to some blessing, we become prideful, we forget and we stop worshiping God and into captivity we go. God hears our moans and cries as a father. He loves his kids. He comes again. He rescues, redeems and lifts us up. And again, the cycle goes through every generation. So that's happening in the book of Genesis. But by Exodus, God's like, okay, now we're going to deliver people. I'm coming for my people again. And then we're going to move them towards a promised land. And Moses was called to do that. And now as they're doing it, before they are about to cross the Red Sea, God says, we're going to have a Passover. We're going to do a Passover. And the Passover, the people were to take blood of a lamb, put it over their doorpost, only over the Israelites' doorpost. So as the final plague, the 10th plague of death, which was to show God's greatness to Pharaoh so Pharaoh would let his people go. That blood would mean that this, that death, that death of curse would pass over. This is really important to remember. 
because God is the God of the Passover. He's still the God of the Passover to the point, like, remember this, remember that I passed over your sins, that word. And when you come to the land that the Lord will give you, that he's promised you. And when your children ask you, what do you mean by this service? You shall say, this is the Lord's Passover for he passed over. These are very important words to remember for us as a generation for he passed over. He passes over. What is he passing over? Our sin over and over in every generation. He's looking to pass over, but it's for those who recognize the blood. For those who recognize that there has been blood shed, Jesus is the lamb of God that took away the sins of the world. So whatever generation we are in, whatever you're facing with your kids or you're looking at and going, gosh, this is really bad. You need to remember for he passed over. He is wanting to pass over again. Someone needs to put the blood over the doorpost and God will pass over so that he can bring people through into the promise. And then the surrounding nations will go, oh my gosh, what is going on with that people over there? They're small. Not a lot of them, but somehow God keeps moving on their behalf. So four, I got five things for creating generational change inside of this Passover mentality. God is passing over. God is looking to pass over these sins. This is what we see. He wants to pass over. Will you spread the blood, acknowledge the blood for you, for them? For the world. So the first thing you need to do to create generational change in line with this message of remembering the Passover, don't be like Pharaoh and harden your heart towards the generation. Don't judge this generation. That's very important. Don't judge it. Stop it. <laughs> Remember that God passed over the Israelites idolatry and sin. And Jesus made a way to pass over all sin and he is still making a way. So think more generously and not so critically of this generation. I'm going to say it again. Think more generously and not so critically. And if you're going to think critically of the generation, do so to be of good use to the generation. Think about how you can make a way. Don't sit back and harden your heart towards your children, towards children, towards a generation, towards the millennials. Stop it. Simon and I have been convicted on ourselves because, you know, we, we have our glory days. We remember when there were no phones and we rode our bikes and we had all this, you know, we can sit around and do that thing that old people do in our fifties, but we've made a promise to each other. We are not going to be those people that become critical and cynical of a generation. We've seen it. We're watching people start to do this because we tend to think that we know more than them. They know something we don't know. Your children, the ones who are failing you, they know something you don't know and they're living through something you didn't live through. So stop with the hardness of heart. Don't harden your heart. Don't be like a Pharaoh. Don't judge a generation. Refuse to be negative. And it's not easy to do. So catch yourself when you're grumbling, catch it. Come on, 
Revelation Wellness, this is so important. So important. I think this is going to be a beautiful thing to see. That if we become more people that through in and out of season and generation, we just will not partner with that cynical, suspicious, judgmental spirit. That is the spirit of the age. So if you've been doing that, shame off of you, chains off of you, he's passing over. Let him pass over. The second is to remember God's promise. See this in verse 25. And when you come to the land that the Lord will give you as he promised, you shall keep service. God has promised himself. He's promised himself over you, over your family and over a generation. Deuteronomy 7, 9 says, Know therefore that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him. Do you love God? Great. He's promised himself over you to a thousand generations. To a thousand generations. That's his promise to you. If you love me and you keep my commands. Now that's important. A lot of people say I love God, but they don't do his commands. So then it all walks out sideways and we wonder, why is it so messy? Keep his commands. Love God with all of who you are. Take your hardness of heart. Take your judgmental. Take your criticism. Take your bitter spirit. Take it all to God and let him love that out of you. And then you will love others as yourself. Work that out day after day. And the promises of God will become evident. He made a promise over you. Now, just because God makes a promise over us, he is not obligated to keep it if we are walking in disobedience. This is why I'm telling you guys, I could cry about this. When I get to heaven, I want to get there and know I cashed in on all the promises. There, I, I think there will be some who will get there and you'll be like, oh my God, there was more. And he's going to hold us to that. You will know, like, yet I knew you. Or you said you knew me, but look at these things that... I asked you to do and you never did because your heart was hard towards me. You didn't believe me. We will be accountable for that. So every promise, anything he's told me, it's on the table. He's going to do it. All I have to do is walk in obedience, keep his commandments and his commandments are for love. See, here's a, here's a deal though. We get really caught up in the love of man and the fear of man. So the promises we push off because of what others might think or what it might cost us. So we push it off. But the promises of God, if you want to cash in on those, they will absolutely cost you the very things that you think are keeping you safe. You need to remember that God has made a promise over not just you and your family, but the family of God as a whole. The promises of God are for not just you and your little family, but for the entire family of God, for the world. He is working this all out. This is why all things, Romans 8, 28 says, all things are working towards good. But it's, it's complicated because what we do is we get this little myopic view of only seeing our problems and this, the problem in this thing right in front of us. We get really narrow in that. And what God's saying is pull up, pull up, pull up. Did you know that there's this, this uh, effect called the overview effect? When astronauts go to space, 
for the first time. They've never been before, and it's the first time. They say first-time astronauts are prone to this, what's called overview effect. When they get up there and they see this tiny little ball, like a marble, floating around in this infinite velvet blackness of space, that they become overwhelmed to a point of weeping or crying. It just happens. It's, they're not planning it. It comes upon them. And it's called the overview effect. It's because they become overwhelmed by how big and how small they are, how big the world is and how small they are. William Shatner just wrote one of his latest memoirs and he went to space on one of Jeff, Jeff Bezos's astronaut planes ever. So, you know, Captain Kirk actually went to space. This happened to him. He said out of nowhere, he just started to cry. He was not <laughs> thinking things. It's just that view of, oh my gosh, we need to remember this. As a generation, God is working out an entire story. When I get focused on the wrong thing of somebody or even the fear of my child doing something wrong or has done something wrong, I have to pull back and go, God is working out his story, not just mine. And his story, according to Isaiah 55, his ways and thoughts are bigger than mine. Pull up. When you get stuck in the pain of your generation, problems, whatever it is, pull up. Remember his promises globally. All right, third, for a generation change. You want to make change in your home, in your family, in your workplace, wherever it is. Third thing you got to do is remember that we live in a fallen world. This world does not operate like our hearts wish it would. We want no pain and suffering, but still there is. And God is still rescuing, saving, redeeming, transforming, and sanctifying. God is still doing that. But we live in a fallen world. Younger children will not be perfect. And we, the older children, are not perfect children of God. We live in a fallen world. The opposite of to be in bondage is to have freedom, right? In sin, when we sin, we're prone to bondage. When we sin and do something wrong, it actually starts to begin a weight on us. But the opposite of bondage is what? To have freedom. But freedom to do what? Worship God. In a fallen world where we tend to get stuck and frozen in what's going wrong, God is trying to come and release us from that. Why? So we can worship him. Go back to him. Say, God, I don't know, but you do. And when we do that over our kids or over a generation, our heart begins to open and worship. I don't know. So you guys know this. One of my favorite, you know how we do this in worship? We see people raise their hands. I always think when I start to worship like that, it isn't like me just doing this posture of, of holiness. It actually is me going, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know about this. I don't know about a lot. I don't know, but I know you. So this posture to me is like, you know, you're the, you go, you go with it, God. You know, I do not. Because we are prone to this fallen world mentality, it keeps us from worship. So please remember Worship, worship that combats this seeing the broken world and only seeing through a broken lens. I love Jeremy Riddle, the worship leader, defines worship as anything that pleases God's heart. Anything that pleases God's heart. 
is worship. He loves to see you free to worship. He loves to see you free to enjoy your body and free to enjoy food and free to enjoy your children. Remain free. Don't get caught up in the brokenness of the world and the sin because you are actually putting on those chains. Worship him. Enjoy. <laughs> I know that's hard to do. Some of you are like, my kids are hard to enjoy right now. Okay. Go back. Get the overview effect. Pull up. Remember the Passover. Remember that you are broken too, that you are not doing it perfectly either. Receive that grace and mercy and give it away. So three, don't forget we live in a fallen world. Four, get on the altar first. This is important for generational change. Get on the altar first. Romans 12, 1 says, Therefore, in view of God's mercy, brothers, offer yourself as a living sacrifice. If we want to see generational change, everyone, guess what? We go first. Get on the altar first. God, I can't see optimistically. I can't see positively. I'm not seeing what I want to see out there in this generation. So I'm going to climb up on the altar and I'm going to need you to burn out of me. What is defiling me? What is keeping my heart cynical? What is keeping me afraid? What is keeping me judgmental? What part of you needs to die so a generation can go free? That's a really important question. What part of you, part of me, needs to die so a generation can go free? I'll tell you, for me, <laughs> what had to die was my backwards love that was rooted in fear. See, I love my kids. I love my kids. I don't want anything wrong to happen. And I actually believe, I actually believe this. I believe religious judgmental people. They actually are very loving people. They are just scared. So they want control. They want the best for other people, but because they've never been set free in their own heart from their control issues and their fear and their wounds, it comes out sideways. And that's how a generation gets tossed about and goes, I don't want your religion. I don't want your faith in Jesus. I don't see anything there. So when we become it, because we got on the altar first, things start to change. My love was rooted in fear towards my kids. It was strong, it was good. I want what's great, I want what's right for my kids. But it was rooted in fear, not in, God, I'm gonna pull up. I've got a hard heart. I am hard because that's how I control. My fear shows up because of my hard heart. God, I need you to soften my heart. God, I need you to help me remember that you've passed over me. You've been kind to me. How do I be kind to my kids? I needed a perspective shift. I needed the overview effect. I needed to remember the fallen world. I needed mercy and grace. I really, you will not give it to a generation if you have not received it for yourself. So get on the altar first. So whatever needs to die in you dies so a generation can go free. What irregular, irregularity or inconsistency is God purging out of you? He will for sure use what or who you love the most to do just that. He will use what and who you love the most to purge you of your inconsistency, your irregularity, the sin that's in you, the darkness that still lies underneath. 
This is why we say a lot, Jesus loves the hell out of me. Let him love the hell out of you. This is your spiritual act of worship. If this is good, guys, hit share if you haven't shared. If this is blessing you, someone, some mother, some father, someone who is looking down their nose at a generation needs to hear this message. What sets a family apart and creates real generational change is a people who worship God. I don't know, God. My kids are acting like idiots. I don't know. Just the other day, I had a... Something happened in my home. One of my kids made a terrible decision. Actually, it was kind of like they're trying to wrap it up as an accident. I'm like, okay, I guess I could see it as an accident. But my gut was telling me there's, there's more to the story that I'm not hearing. And I'm not judging. So I held my mouth back. And I went to the Lord in prayer and time just praying over the safety of my kids. The promise is, God, you promised me a thousand generations. So I'm just standing and contending in prayer. And in that I felt the Lord gave me a really kind message, just one that blesses, encourages, and reminds my child that God is with us and he's for us. And because he loves us, sometimes even these accidents happen because he wants our attention. It was so, I was like, man, I sent it to my child and then I sent it to my husband to say, hey, I sent this to them just in light of that. And he goes, wow, that's good. I go, yeah, that's just Jesus. That was just the, the Holy Spirit teaching me how to take this moment where my, my suspicion could become, well, you shouldn't do that. And you didn't, like, could become the, like, judge and be hard and said, no, 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 pull back, pull back, pull back, pull up, Elisa. Take a minute. Accidents happen. We live in a fallen world. Man, what stupid things had happened to me when I was their age? Countless. How many times did God pass over me? Countless. But then in that moment, I could come back and my message to that child was, we're worshipers and God loves us as worshipers. Verse 27, and the people bowed their heads in worship. I love that. You know, they're asking, why are we doing this? What is this? And God tells them, you're going to do this because your kids are going to ask you why. And you're going to remind them I passed over. And they bowed their heads and worshiped. So final thing I would say for generational change is to be people of remembrance. It even says that. And when your children say to you, you shall say, right? When your people say, why do we do this? <laughs> when my kids are like, oh, again with the Lord. Yeah, because we're worshipers. Not in a condemning, bang them over the head way, but just like still love you. Still contending. You're the head, not the tail. You're above, not beneath. How many times you just say it over your kids? They're like, oh, just say it again. Say it again. Be a worshiper. Remind them that we are a worshipful people. Remind them that we are a people that say God is first. A family that goes, God is the center of this. So remembrance is really important because it says this in this verse, as God's bringing them out of Egypt, you're going to do this Passover. When your children say to you, what do you mean by this? You shall say, it's a sacrifice of the Lord's Passover for he passed over the house of the people in Israel and he struck down the houses of Egypt and the people bowed their head in worship. Yeah, God did that for me. It's really important to remember that God did that for you. And I love that the scripture says, and when they ask you, why are we doing this? Hey friends for this generation, let's give people reasons to ask questions. Why do you do that? 
Why are you so kind when they're being such jerks? Why, why are you not gossiping with me? <laughs> why? Give people reason to ask why so that you can bring remembrance. To bring God to the center of your family in your own home, talking specifically to those of you trying to create some family or generational change. And I'm wrapping up right here. <clears throat> I said, give your generation uh, reasons to ask questions, but here's a, one, a wonderful thing to do. Do something in your home a little bit every day as like a toast to the Lord or a remembrance of God. I was reading a book recently called, I'm reading it right now, called Effortless. And this guy was mentioning how dinner time in his house was always such a whip. And the whole premise of the book is to take things that are difficult and how do we make it easier? How do we make it more effortless? Love that. Feels like the Lord, right? Light and easy yoke. Don't work so hard. His, his, light, his yoke is easy and light. So the guy was saying, I just wanted to make dinner less of a grind, less complain, less hard to get people there. And so they started a, a habit of every night they would pull out like the fine glassware and they made it a point to start dinner. They would toast <laughs> and they would just do a dinner toast every night and everyone would make their toast for whatever reason of the day they want to celebrate or whatever it was. And, the, and everyone started liking it. The kids I'm sure were younger but they wanted to show up for dinner so they could make a toast. It's really silly. Those are actually things that the Jewish people are really good at. It's called encoding things to remember things that you do or wear or say that are rhythmic. We are going to remember God today in our house. We call it happy and <laughs> we call it happy, crappy, hopey, happy, crappy, hopey. So whenever we're around the dinner table, now it's just Simon and I, and by the way, Simon and I still do it. Just the two of us. It's a remembrance. The happy, crappy, hopey. First, we name what was the what was the great thing about your day? What went great today? And we will list something. And then, all right, what was crappy? What was hard about this day? And then we would we would say that. And a few years back, we used to only do happy, crappy with our kids. And then I had this kind of check. I was like, you know what? We can't leave it at crappy. Let's go to hopey. So let's add at the end. What's your hope for tomorrow? What's your hope for that situation? So we added that. It's happy, crappy, hopey. And, and yes, I allowed my kids to say crappy. Sometimes you just gotta, you know, I'll leave that to your own house culture, but we let them, and that, they thought it was fun. They could talk about the crappy of the day. That's remembrance. That's remembrance. So in closing, this entire teaching, <laughs> can be summed up in one sentence. This entire teaching, how do we create generational change can be summed up in one sentence. Get your pens out and get ready. Don't judge God's promises. According to a fallen world, get on the altar first and remember Jesus. That's it. That is how you create generational change. Don't judge God's promises. Don't judge it. God's doing it. He is moving. He is passing over. He made a promise over his family, over his people. There is a fallen world. Get on the altar first. Remember Jesus. That's it. Over and over and over and over again. Do that and you will create generational change. I promise you, if you just did the first thing, stop judging. You'll sh it'll, shake your it'll shake up your family. Wow. Mom's not being so harsh. Dad's actually 
kind of got a kind word to say, or he's just not saying anything at all. That's different. Don't judge God's promises according to a fallen world. Get on the altar first and remember Jesus. Jesus got on that altar. Jesus is the propitiation, the blood shed to take away our sins. He passed over. And God is intimately interested in this generation. So be a part of it. All right. God, thank you. We love you. We thank you that you are wanting more for us, not just the people who read your word and say that's a good word, but become that word. So God, I pray you would help us in our families, in our homes, in our workplaces, in this generation now to figure out what you're up to and to partner with you, that we will not partner with a critical spirit, that we will remember your promises, that we will remember that you... (laughs) came for us when we were dead in our sins in a fallen world and you made us alive together with you. And then you invite us over and over to get on the altar, God, where there is a problem in us, we often have problems with other people. And help us to remember you all day long. Help us to be a member of your household all day long. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for being here, friends. Before you go, would you do us a favor and share this episode with a friend. When you share one of our episodes or leave us a review, it helps us spread the good news of Jesus and the ministry of Revelation Wellness with others. Be sure to swipe up to the show notes for some great resources. And don't forget, let's keep the conversation going by leaving us a voice message. You can do that in the show notes as well. And can we just tell you how much we love getting those messages and hearing your voices? They really do bless us. Swipe up to get the link and get all of the information that you need to come to Rev on the Road or any of the other resources that we talked about in the show notes. We will be back Monday with a brand new Revving the Word from Elisa. So be sure to join us then. We'll see you soon. Peace.